I have to tell you, I am seeing Regis Philbin in my sleep. You guys seen him in your sleep? This, you know, so you want to be a millionaire. This thing is addictive. It's like uh, the programming equivalent of crack cocaine. You know what I'm saying? And uh, hey, did you notice the other night somebody won a million dollars? Did you see that? Friday night, guy won a million bucks. Called his dad up for his lifeline and said, Dad, I'm not calling you for help with the answer. I know the answer. I just want you to be the first person to know I'm about to win a million dollars. Unbelievable. Well, I've been trying my luck at this. And, you, you, you know, there are so many questions that come up where I say to myself, man, I know this one. I know I know this one. You know, uh, but, but I can't remember the answer. Like the other night, I could have won $250,000 if I could have remembered who the host of the very first Saturday Night Live was. And I knew I knew it, but I couldn't remember. You know who it was? George Carlin. That's right. And, and so this is my problem. I'm going to be a poor man because I have a short memory. And I'm just, I'm accepting that. Well, you know, I want to talk to us about the fact today that there's lots of people that have short memories in our world, not just when it comes to facts and figures and trivia, but there are people in our world who make promises and commitments to other people that they never keep and forget about. There are people in our world who find out it's inconvenient to stick with their friends, even after their friends stuck with them, and so they abandon their friends. And it's not fun to know those kind of people. I'm here to tell you today what I want you to walk away from from this place with this morning is the understanding that God is not like this, that God is totally different, that God never forgets his friends, that God never abandons his followers, that God never forsakes a promise that he makes to us. And that even though it may not look like at certain moments in time, God is being true to his friends and remembering us, that that's just an illusion. So that's what I want us to walk out of here with today. Let's use an incident from the life of David as our springboard, and then that's what we're going to talk about. A little bit of background. Remember, David has been run out of Jerusalem by Absalom, his son. Absalom has pursued him with an army, overthrown him as king, tried to kill him. Well, Absalom's men, their army, they, they join battle, the, his men and David's men. Absalom's army loses the battle. Absalom is killed, and as we pick up the story... David is headed back towards Jerusalem to regain his throne, to retake his kingship back. And that's where we pick up the story. Verse 31 says, now Barzillai also came to cross the Jordan with the king and to send the king on his way. Now, who was this guy Barzillai? Well, the verse 32 goes on to tell us three very important things about the man. Barzillai was a very old man, verse 32 says, 80 years of age. And he had provided for the king during the king's stay in Mahanaim. That's a little village where David had fled as a as a fugitive when he was fleeing from Absalom. For he, Barzillai, was a very wealthy man. So the verse tells us three things about this man, Barzillai. Number one, he was an elderly man. Number two, he was a wealthy man. And number three, the, the, the Bible tells us that this man had used his wealth to provide for David and David's men while they were living as fugitives from Absalom. That when David was hungry and thirsty and tired and discouraged and bereft, of every human provision, this guy had stepped in and had provided for David. Now look what happens in verse 33. David's troops have won the battle. David's kingship's been restored. David is returning to Jerusalem in triumph. Look at this, verse 33. 
And David says to Barzillai, cross over the Jordan with me and come with me to Jerusalem. You need to move to Jerusalem with me and I will provide for you. This is what I love here, is that David, in the midst of all this euphoria, all this celebration, all of this jubilation, David is careful not to forget a friend who stood with him when things weren't so good, when things were really hard, when things were really tough. Well, Barzillai goes on to say, verse 34, he said, how many years do I have to live, king, that I should go up to Jerusalem with you? I'm 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what's good and what's not? Can your servant taste what he eats and what he drinks? Can I still hear the voices of men and women singers? Why should I be an added burden to you? No, he says, verse 37, let me stay here. Let me go back and die in my own town near the tomb of my father and my mother. Verse 39, so all the people crossed the Jordan and the king crossed over heading back to Jerusalem as well. And the king kissed Barzillai and gave him his blessing. And Barzillai returned to his own home. I don't know what impression you have of King David, but I don't get the impression that King David was a very affectionate man physically. Do you? I don't think he hugged his children very often. I don't think he kissed his children very often. Just look at the way his children turned out and you can tell that. But here David takes this elderly man and as they part at the Jordan River, he takes this man in his arms and he blesses him and he hugs him and he embraces him and he kisses him. Because he wanted this man to know, I will never forget what you did for me, Barzillai, as long as I live. I think that's a wonderful thing. Isn't it great to have a friend who doesn't forget what you did for him, who doesn't forget you? Well, it doesn't end there. Flip over, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 2. It's just a couple of pages back. It's page 237 if you're using our copy of the Bible. A couple of pages. And here in 1 Kings chapter 2, David is dying now. He's on his deathbed. And he's, he's giving his last instructions to his son Solomon, King Solomon. And look what he says. Verse 7, chapter 2 of 1 Kings, verse 7. He says, but show kindness, Solomon, to the sons of Barzillai. Here's the guy again. And let them be among those who eat at your table, for they stood by me. When I fled from your brother Absalom, and you know what? I don't forget my friends, and don't you forget my friends either, Solomon. Even lying on his deathbed, David remembered his friends. I think this is wonderful. This is the kind of people you love to know. Now, that's the end of our passage for today, but it leads us to ask a really important question. And, and you know what this is, so everybody, everybody ready? Here we go. One, two, three. So what? Right, Lon, I, this, this is wonderful. I think this is great. But you know, this doesn't have a thing to do with my life today. I can't even spell Barzillai. So what does this have to do with me? Well, I think there's a huge lesson here that I, I want to pull out for us about us and our relationship to Almighty God. You know, if we were nominating, if we were going to give out an award for the best memory in the world, I wonder who are some of the candidates that we would nominate. Well, there's elephants. I'm told they never forget stuff. And then there's my Jewish mother who never forgot anything I ever did wrong. Thirty years later, she can remember it all. But certainly one lady who would not be a candidate for the best memory in the world is Denise Rossi. Now, Denise Rossi, you may not know her, but let me tell you about her. On January the 8th, 1997... 
Denise Rossi, then age 47, sued uh, for divorce, filed for divorce from her husband of 25 years in Los Angeles. What she forgot to tell him and what she forgot to tell the court is that 11 days earlier, she had won $1.3 million in the lottery. Nobody knew that. Well, she divorced him. It was two years later before he found out his wife had won the lottery. And the way he found out was that they got one of these phone calls to the house accidentally, you know, where they offer to cash in your lottery early, give you the money up front, one of these services. They called to offer that to his wife. And it was like, oh, by the way, your wife won the lottery. Well, he went back and sued her. And this past week, in federal court in Los Angeles, the judge ruled that Ms. Rossi had not just forgotten that she won $1.3 million. That instead, her acts were fraudulent, and the judge ordered Ms. Rossi to pay her husband the entire $1.3 million. Now, let's take a poll. Okay. How many of you think that that was a good decision by the judge? Raise your hand. See, all the men, at every service, the men have raised their hand. It's amazing. How many of you don't think that was a good idea? All the women raised their hand. Unbelievable how this poll has gone. Well, my suggestion to you is if you came with a lady, I would not talk about this when you leave. It is a loser, guys. Don't even mess with it. Leave it alone. Just go, you're right, dear. Okay. But would we nominate this woman for the best memory in the world award? I don't think so. We say, Lon, who would you nominate? Well, folks, I would nominate God. That's who I would nominate as the person with the best memory in the world. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches that God has both the best memory in the world and the worst memory in the world. You say, now, wait a minute. How can you have the best memory in the world and the worst memory in the world at the same time? Well, you can. Let me tell you what I mean. First of all, God has the worst memory in the world when it comes to remembering the penalty for sin that we owe him as believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the penalty for sin, the wages of sin, is death. Eternal separation from God. Eternal disconnectedness from God. But when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, God catches permanent amnesia when it comes to the penalty of our sin. That's how we get to go to heaven as followers of Jesus Christ. When we show up, God says, what penalty? I don't remember any penalty. That's all behind the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 17 says, And this is the covenant that I will make with you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your sins and your wrongdoings I will remember no more. God catches amnesia and has the worst memory in the world when it comes to the penalty that you owe him for sin when you trust Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, may I say to you that God is offering for you to catch permanent amnesia regarding the penalty you owe him for every wrongdoing, every mistake, every offense, every infraction, every shortfall, every failure you've ever committed, you will ever commit. God's offering to catch permanent amnesia about the penalty you owe him. And, you know, I've run into people who say to me, you know, if I'd have had a thousand dollars and bought a thousand dollars of AOL stock the day it went up for initial public offering, I'd be a millionaire today. If I'd have had two thousand dollars in Microsoft the day it went on in the market, I would be a multi millionaire today. What a great deal. Oh, yeah. 
But I want to tell you something. That's not the greatest deal in the universe. The chance to go back in time and buy Microsoft the day it was offered. That's not the greatest deal in the universe. Friends, the greatest deal in the universe is the deal Almighty God is offering you if you trust Jesus Christ. That He will catch permanent amnesia about the penalty you owe Him for everything you've ever done or will ever do. God will catch amnesia. Now that's a great deal. And I can't figure out why, if you're here and you've never taken God up on the deal, why you haven't. What reason could there possibly be not to take God up on a deal like that? Well, something for you to think about. Now, I also said God has the best memory in the world, right? And he does. God has the best memory in the world when it comes to his friends. When it comes to his children in Jesus Christ. When it comes to the promises and the commitments that he has made to us. I want you to turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 6 in the New Testament. The letter that Paul wrote to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6. And if you're using our copy of the Bible, it's page 848. And here's what God says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. Look with me. Hebrews 6, verse 10. We'll also shoot it up on the screen for you. It says this. God is not unjust. He will not forget. Look at this. He will not forget your work and the love that you've shown him. This is a wonderful verse of scripture that says, if I will dedicate myself to being God's friend, if I will dedicate myself to trying to love God and serve God and honor God in everything that I do, what God will do, what God is promising me is he will not forget his friends. Remember the thief on the cross? What did he say? He said, Jesus, remember me today when you go into paradise. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't forget my friends. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, knowing this promise from God, it has enormous bearing on our everyday life. You know, I got a letter from a lady this week, as a matter of fact, and she's writing a new book, a very interesting book. The name of her book is entitled Life Verses. And then the subtitle is favorite Bible verses of leading Christians. And she wrote me and asked me if I would do her a favor and give them my favorite verse from the Bible and explain why so they could put it in their book. I was kind of honored. I thought that was kind of nice. And so I filled out the form. And let me tell you the verse I gave them. First Samuel chapter two, verse 30. Here's what it says. It says, those who honor me, I will honor, declares the Lord. And let me tell you why I love this verse. I always have. Because this verse assures me that God never forgets his friends. This verse assures me that if I will love God, obey God, dedicate myself to trying to please and honor God in every situation of life, God, Hebrews chapter 6, will not forget my work. He will not forget the love I've tried to show him and he will honor me back. Now, folks, let's admit, nobody ever gets this right 100%. Nobody's perfect. Nobody loves God the way they should every moment of every day. I don't. Nobody serves God and obeys God and honors God the way they should every moment of every day. I don't. You don't. But I'll tell you something. I've sought to try to live this way for the last 29 years of my life. I've asked God to help me do my best at this. And I want to tell you, God has proven to me that he meant what he said in this verse. God has never forgotten me. God has honored me back far out of proportion for any honoring I've ever given to him.
You say, well, Lon, that's wonderful. That's great news. I honor God and then God sends me great stuff in return. Well, well, ho, 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 ho. That's right. Except you go, uh oh, what do you mean? Except, well, there's one more piece of biblical information you've got to have if you're going to get this right. If we don't add in this one final piece of biblical information, what's going to happen is you're going to go charging off with what I've said so far, and you're going to run into some situations where you're convinced God has lied to you, God has misled you, God has forgotten about you, God has been untrue to his promise, and you're going to impugn God if you don't have one more piece of biblical information. So let me give it to you. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Here's what it says. It says, Let us not become weary in doing good, For at the proper time, at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And the key phrase here, folks, is the phrase at the proper time. See, with God, timing is everything. God doesn't work on the quick turnaround model. You know the quick turnaround model? See, now, if you didn't know what I'm telling you here, you'd walk out of here and say, okay, this is the way it's supposed to work. I honor God. I pray. I seek God. I love God. I do what's right. Boom. Okay, God, your turn. Now you do some stuff. The quick turnaround model. I give it to God. God turns it around quick and gives it back to me. May I tell you folks, God doesn't work on that model. God works on a different model. And that's too bad because I want God to work on the quick turnaround model. You want God to work on the quick turnaround model. Every prayer you pray is probably based on the quick turnaround model. Come on, God. Where are you? Let's go. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. True? Now, God works on the at the proper time model. God works on a model very similar to farming. You know what a farmer does? I've never been a farmer, but a farmer farmer plows the ground, sows, After he sows, he irrigates. After he irrigates, he fertilizes, he cultivates, he weeds, he mends, and he tends. Think about it now. A farmer invests an awful lot of energy and output before he ever sees a single piece of harvest. Do you ever think about that? And if a farmer stopped right after he put the seed in the ground and it didn't grow up and give him 35 ears of corn and said, What's wrong with you? I got a bad seed here. Come on now. Come on. I planted you. I watered you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Well, he'd turn that field over and destroy it and never see the crop. Because farming doesn't work on the quick turnaround model. It works on the at the proper time model. That's how God works. And friends, if we're going to walk with Jesus Christ, and we're really going to honor Jesus Christ, yes, it says God will honor us back, but it also says that will happen at the proper time. In God's perfect timing. So the model we follow is a model that says, hey, no matter how silent the heavens may seem at some moment, no matter how absent God's honoring me back may seem at some moment, no matter how much it may appear at some moment that God has forgotten about me, I will remain unshaken in my utter conviction that God cannot lie. He has not lied to me. He never forgets his friends. He has not forgotten me. The problem is, it's not the proper time yet for God to do everything that he promised. But I'm going to keep trusting him. I'm going to keep doing good. And at the proper time, God will do everything for me that he promised. You know, Brenda and I have been married 25 years this past uh, June. 
Thank you very much. And um, anyway, seven and a half years ago, God rocked our world, as many of you know, sending into our life a little girl named Jill, who is severely disabled, has severe mental retardation, has a seizure disorder. And God took our life and completely ratcheted our life in a different direction than we ever dreamed. My little girl has lots of seizures. One day she had 19 grand malls in one day. We call the rescue squad. The rescue squad would come. She would stop breathing. I'd have to give her CPR while we're waiting for the rescue squad to arrive. The rescue squad would transport her to the intensive care unit at Fairfax Hospital. And we'd be there one day, two days, three days. We'd switch off with each other, letting somebody go home to get a shower and a couple of hours of sleep. And back we'd go again. And oh, by the way, we had three boys growing up in this home who needed our time, needed our attention, needed our emotional connectedness and we couldn't give it to him the way we wanted to because we were so completely exhausted trying to take care of Jill. So now we're feeling guilt on top of everything else we're feeling. We had tens of thousands of dollars every year in out-of-pocket medical expenses over and above insurance. Uh, we, we, we were up all hours of the night with Jill having seizures. We faced exhaustion, folks, that I could not even begin to describe to you in words how exhausted we were. And then all of that culminated after five years with the medical community telling us that there was no medical hope for Jill, that she was going to be a permanent care person the rest of our lives, and that they could offer us no real bright, rosy future. We watched as our dream for life in our 40s just evaporated. I mean, we thought, wow, you raise your kids, get them into high school a little bit, get to travel a little bit, get to go some places, do some stuff, you know, uh-uh, all gone. We watched as our strength and our physical health began to crack under the strain and the demands that she put on us. And all the time, we were saying, God, where are you, God? Where are you in all of this, God? We dedicate ourselves here as a, as a pastor and, and his family to serving you. And this is what you do to us. This is how you treat us. This is how you reward us. And we get on our knees and we pray and we cry out to you. And we ask you, God, where are you? And nothing's happening. It's like you moved out of town. It's like you, you're not even listening. What is going on here, God? I've got to tell you, folks. This was a really trying time for our faith. And I might be a pastor, but I'm still a human being. And there were some very long days saying, God, is this whole thing real or have I believed a lie? Folks, if we had been operating on the quick turnaround model of Christianity, we would have chucked our faith five years ago, thrown it away and said, this is, we're out of here. But I'm so grateful we had some good friends back then who said to us, now listen, guys, you guys need the farming model. You guys need the at the proper time model. You guys can't pray and expect God to move right away and do exactly what you want just because you pray, just because you ask him. God's got a will here. God's got a plan here. God's got a timing here. You've got to trust God. And so with the help of our friends' encouragement, we set off on a course of trying to embrace the farming model. The model that says we will do our best to keep loving God. We will do our best to keep obeying God. We will do our best to rest in God's promises and trust his perfect timing. Believing that one day, somehow, God is going to make sense out of all of this. 
Well, I, I want to tell you it's been the hardest seven years of our life, but I got some good news for you. The good news is that God's perfect timing does happen. That God does have a proper time. And that we're beginning to see some of that after seven and a half years really begin to happen. You know, friends, as a result of the pain and the heartache that we've been through with my daughter, I believe that Brenda and I have a deeper walk with God and a richer walk with God than we've ever had before. I believe there are things that we've experienced with God we could never have known or experienced if it had not been for seven years of pain and suffering like this. And I've watched as God has made me, I believe, I hope, a better leader and a better pastor and just just a better human being than I used to be. I've watched as God has taken my three boys and developed in them a heart of compassion and and a sensitivity to the suffering of other people that you can't send somebody to school to learn. You can't read it in a book. You can't go to a seminar to learn how to do this. This is something God's got to develop in the heart of a person himself. And I have seen God do this in my three boys as a result of living with their sister and watching the pain and the heartaches that she goes through. I have seen God use this to smoke me out of the little emotional fortress I had built around myself, as I've told you before, for 40 years. Growing up in a home where my parents rejected me and where I had a lot of pain growing up, I had built a nice little castle around my emotions and said, this is wonderful. I'm not letting anybody get close enough to ever hurt me again. And you know what? After 40 years, I'd gotten real comfortable inside of there. Maybe it was a sick way to live, but I'd gotten comfortable with it. And I've seen God use the pain that we have been through to smoke me out. I mean, I didn't want to come out. I got to be honest with you. God smoked me out because you can't go through this and not have people, not let people get close to you. And now that I'm out, I'm happier. It's much nicer being out. But I never would have come out ever if it hadn't have been for what God's done. And God has given us a wonderful new home to take care of the long-term needs of my daughter. And he's given us a wonderful cadre of friends who come over and help with Jill. And, and God has used Jill to propel us as McLean Bible Church into the forefront of church disability ministry in America. I have an interview with James Dobson on Focus on the Family that we're taping next year to talk about what we're doing here for children with disabilities and to try to galvanize other churches in America to begin reaching out to children with disabilities and their families in their areas and on and on the list goes. Let me tell you what I've learned, friends. I've learned something in seven years. I have learned that God's ways are not my ways. I have learned that God's thoughts are not my thoughts. And I have learned that God's timing is not my timing. But I have also learned that God is absolutely true to every promise he makes. And that if we'll trust him and we'll give him a chance to do it his way and according to his thoughts and according to his timing, God will be true to every single thing he's ever promised us. God didn't forget Brenda and me. It felt that way. But he hadn't forgotten us. He had a bigger plan and a better plan than we could ever see. And he was working it out. And you know what? I can honestly tell you now, as hard as it is to say this, that these have been some of the seven best years of our life in terms of our walk with God. The hardest. But I wouldn't trade the last seven years of experience for anything. I couldn't have said that five years ago when I was asking God to take this away from me. So God said, Lon, just stick with me here. One of these days you'll thank me for this. And it's true. Now, maybe you're here today 
and you're right where Brenda and I have been. Oh, maybe you don't have a disabled child, but maybe you've got a child that's struggling and suffering and is tearing your heart out to watch it. Maybe you've got some health impairment that, 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 that either you have or somebody you love has and, and it's tearing your heart out. Maybe you're dealing with the pain of a broken relationship or maybe you're, you're dealing with the pain of divorce that's left you with an absent mom or an absent dad right when you need them. Or, or maybe you're dealing with a crisis in your finances or maybe you, you're having a really tough time at school or a really tough time in the workplace or maybe you've just really been praying and praying and praying about something and God, it's like he's not even listening. And maybe you've been prone like Brenda and I were to say, God, where are you? Have you forgotten about me? Folks, I'm here to tell you the answer to that question is no, no, a thousand times no. God has not forgotten about you. And you may not be able to figure out what's happening to you right now because I, for years, had no clue why God was doing what he was doing to us. But God has a plan and God has a timing. And if you'll trust God, if you'll give up trying to figure it out and you'll just trust God, I promise you, God will be true to everything he's ever told you. And one of these days you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to say with Fanny Crosby, Jesus led me all the way. Even in that dark time where I thought he'd forgotten about me. No, no, no. I see now. He was there leading me all the way, all the time. Folks, God never forgets his friends. And if you've committed yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ and a friend of God, I promise you, God has not and will never forget you. Trust him. Trust him. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. His timing is not your timing. But God hadn't forgotten you. And if you'll trust him, he'll be true to you. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for speaking to us today about where we really live. Lord, there are all kinds of pains and heartaches that come into our life. And we cry out to you and go, what is this, God? Why are you doing this? Where are you? And we don't get answers. And those are hard times for us, God. My prayer is that you would take the word of God and challenge our hearts today. That even in the tough times, even in the dark times, even in the times where it looks like you've forgotten about us. Lord, challenge us to be able by the power of your spirit to rise above those feelings. And to say with utter and absolute conviction, no, God has not forgotten about me. And I will keep serving God. And I will keep loving God. And I will keep trusting God. And one of these days when God's time is perfect, just like the farmer, he's going to give me the harvest. I believe that by faith. Lord, this is how you want us to live. Give us the courage and the power of your spirit to do that. And for folks here who are right in those situations, Lord, encourage their faith today. Help them switch models from the quick turnaround model to the at the proper time model. And take away the anxiety, the fear, and the anger they feel and give them the peace of God that comes from just trusting you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.